Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Matthew chapter 22. We will begin our reading today in verse 15. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. You're going to notice as I read these first few verses that it's like everybody's going to get a shot at him. Jesus is answering some questions, and the Pharisees are going to take him on. The Sadducees are going to take him on. The Herodians are going to team up with the Pharisees to take him on. If you ever played football, it's sort of like a linebacker drill where they're, you're in the middle of a circle, and they just send them from all different directions, and you just have to take all of them all as they come, from wherever they come. They've got Jesus in the circle, but when it's all said and done, I'm afraid he's going to be the only one standing because he's got some answers for them that's going to blow their minds. Let's pick it up in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together as to how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, why do you think it is unlawful, or what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not. They couldn't have been nicer. And listen to Jesus. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, well, then render to Caesar." the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed. And leaving him, they went away. And on that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to Jesus and questioned him, asking him, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, His brother, as next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. That was called Leverite marriage. They tell Jesus, now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died. Now they said he was with us, so they're trying to make it not sound like this is just hypothetical. They're trying to make it sound like it really happened. And having no children, uh, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, something we don't believe in anyway, therefore whose wife of the seven 
will she be, for they had all married her. Jesus may have wanted to say, I think you should find out what she's putting in the beans. If seven of them's dead. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. That doesn't mean we'll be angels in heaven. Scripture doesn't teach that. And the regard towards marriage, of the idea of marriage will be like the angels, though. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, that's what Jesus wants to get at. Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am Not I was. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. These men are alive. I am their God. I'm alive, and they're alive because they have experienced the resurrection. If you have a loved one that's passed on, and he or she knew the Lord as his or her Savior, I can tell you, Uh, They didn't serve the God of the dead. They served the God of the living. And don't misunderstand his power. No, they're alive uh, if they knew the Lord Jesus Christ. He's cutting right to the chase. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. That's called a holy huddle. And one of them, a lawyer. Yep. Sometimes, you know, you get to the point you have to get a lawyer. That's, that's where they had to go. They said, well, we dialed all nines and we called up Ditcher Quick and Howe and, uh, or Run or whatever that law firm was named, Hyde. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, teacher, And this is where we're wanting to get to today. Which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The megas and the protos. It's the first and foremost. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. It's interesting that two of the most fundamental teachings that we have in Scripture are two of the most misunderstood things. Even back then, we see them asking Jesus questions about it. And of course, their motives were not pure. But did you keep noticing the crowd was astonished? And, and, and these Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians, they, they just never figured it out. The crowd that they wanted to impress, they weren't impressing. Jesus was. The crowd was astonished. The Sadducees were just mad. The Pharisees were just embarrassed. And the Herodians were just had the daylights beat out of them. But the crowds were astonished. 
And they were asking him a question that I think we need to be asking today because I still don't think we understand it like we need to. Not according to Scripture. It has to do, one, with the law of God, and secondly, the love of God. And we are privy to a conversation from our Lord and Savior where he addresses both of them together here in this one conversation. Now, when it came to the law, nobody had it more mixed up than the Jews. You know that they started out with 10. They wound up with 613. Now, they had 248 of the 613 were affirmative. They were things that you should do. Now, they believe that the 248 also coincide, uh, coincided with how many body parts there were in the human body. Now, I don't want any of them operating on me, okay? But that's what they thought. <laughs> that leaves 365, and those were the negative ones. So you've got a negative commandment for every day of the year. You add them together, and that's 613, but we're not finished yet. They also believed that there was 600, and I suppose they could prove this. We have the Hebrew Bible, that there were 613 letters, individual letters that made up the Ten Commandments. So do you see how precise they have all of this figured out? It's really kind of amazing. I think that they misunderstood the law a lot, and I think they also misunderstood God's love quite often. I think you and I ought to take a stab at it, and I think we ought to let God teach us. We ought to look at his word, what he has said here. Remember 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready. Sanctify Christ in your hearts first. If you do that, if you sanctify Christ in your hearts, you treat him in your heart as if he is holy, as he is preeminent, as he is the one that, whose only opinion matters, then he says, always be ready after that to give a defense to everyone who asks you because you're going to constantly be in conflict. We live in a world, don't know if you noticed it or not, but they, don't, they rarely ever agree with Jesus Christ. He says, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and do it with reverence, but be ready to do it. So if you had to explain to somebody what role does the law play in the life of the Christian. Are we hypocrites for saying that maybe something is wrong because, well, it says so in the Levitical law, and yet we break most of the laws in the book of Leviticus? How does all of that work? Let's take, let's take a stab at it and thank God for his grace. Yes. First of all, just two points. We must have a godly understanding of the law. I'll let you guess it what the second one will be. The law, the misunderstanding of the law among the Jews, boy, when we can learn a lesson from this, caused some problems. 
The first one was competition. When it says the Pharisees earlier in the passage and the Herodians in verse 16 that we read got together and went after Jesus, I got to tell you, friend, that's when the old adage was born, hostility makes strange bedfellows. About the only person they hated more than each other was Jesus. They did not get along with each other. Pharisees didn't get along with Sadducees. None of these groups got along with each other. They fussed and fought all the time, and yet they came together, these different sects of Judaism, and there were several of them. And what is crazy about all of this, we just constantly run into them in the Gospels, but 90% of the people around Jesus Christ did not belong to any of them. They were all treated like outcasts. They couldn't measure up For any of these groups, they were just plain old people, and those were the just plain old people that Jesus loved to hang out with. As a matter of fact, when he hung out with them, they accused him of hanging out with sinners. And and boy, that was the one time they did tell the truth about Jesus because he loved doing exactly that. But I can tell you, it caused some tremendous competition. And I'll just say this and move on. I grew up seeing some of that. I grew up in an atmosphere in the South here where it was just a contest to see who could be the holiest. Well, we don't let women wear pants to our church. You got got like eight points for that. I'm just guessing. I don't know. And others, uh, the church I grew up in at the time would not allow string music in in the church. Now, we did have a piano. Hopefully no one ever looked inside that thing. But they didn't believe in string instruments, drums. Oh, good Lord, chance we'd have drug you out, boy. It had just never happened. It, It was almost like a contest. And if you think all of that has died out, uh, my, my brother and his band went somewhere, the uh, Can Creek, the Bluegrass Gospel Group, they went somewhere to sing, and my brother talked with someone else who had already been there, and he says, I need to let you know that I got out of the car with a short sleeve shirt on and a tie, but because I had on short sleeves, they told me I could just get back in the car and pack up my instruments and leave. And that was just a couple of years ago. Oh, which one of us can be the most righteous? When you start down that path of legalism, boy, you can't look plain enough. You know, a lot of the women wouldn't wear makeup. Mm. Man, that's, that's sacrificing right there. If you got to get real close to them. But I'm just saying, man, it's it just whatever. It, and it's like we're, we're in a contest to, to see who can be the holiest. And I don't care how many of those rules you make up. There's going to be somebody that will always be to the right of you. You're never going to win that one. It's competition. Secondly, it was a great conflict. They hated each other. Let me just give you this quickly. I, it, it's interesting to me. The Pharisees, if we had these today, and we do have these today, the Pharisees would be the liberals. I know that throws you for a little bit of a loop, but they would be. The Sadducees would be the fundamentalists. The Herodians would be the moral majority. Remember them? And the Zealots would be the revolutionaries. 
And let me just explain this. The reason the Pharisees were considered liberal, at least by the Sadducees, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They didn't believe in any kind of resurrection of the dead. Uh, They believed when you died, that was it. It was over with. Uh, The Pharisees held tightly to the oral law, the law that wasn't necessarily written in the Old Testament. The Sadducees said, no, if it's not in my black back C.I. Schofield copy of the Hebrew Bible, we don't believe it. And they fussed and fought about that all the time. And they also told the Pharisees, you got all of this when we were in captivity and the Persians, they had all these crazy pagan ideas about life after death and there being a devil and all of that. So after the 400 silent years between the Old and the New Testament, the New Testament opens up and here are all of these different groups. You never read about any of them in the Old Testament. You never read about Pharisees, Sadducees, anybody like that in the Old Testament. But they developed over time, boy, and I mean, they began to go at it. The Pharisees would be the liberals. Sadducees would be the fundamentalists. The Herodians would be the moral majority, I call them. You're probably not old enough to remember the moral majority, a lot of you. But it was, and I'm not saying everything that they did was bad. I'm just telling you, go and vote. And vote the way God convicts you to vote. Hold your nose and pull the blooming lever, okay? But don't ever expect that a human being on this earth is going to do for this nation only what God can do. You ought to amen that. There's nobody that can do what God can do. But the Herodians said, thus their name, you know Herod was Idumean. So that makes him at least part Jewish. Why don't we get behind? I can hear it now. I don't like all his policies either. He's not a good debater. I, I don't know about any of that. It's just the stupid stuff we say. But, you know, Herod is king, and he's in a position of power, and he could really help us Jews out. So why don't we get behind him and support him? And then there was the zealots that were like, we're done talking. They were the Antifa. They were kicking out windshields on police chariots all over town. Really? They wanted to fight. And by the way, I'll just tell you, the zealots are the ones that finally got everybody killed. Because in 68, the Romans said, we've had enough. The zealots have risen up in Jerusalem. Vespasian told Titus, he said, I'm done. Take him. And Titus, the general, went there and took him two years. But when he finished, the only wall that was left standing was the wall that he allowed to be standing. And that's the wailing wall that you see when you go there today. All of this foolishness. Competition, conflict, confusion. This is probably the best point, the most important point, I would say. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. You are mistaken. And let me make a point here. Now, I'm going to make two or three points from here to the end that are vital. The main 
reason or the reason for the law was so that God could have a relationship with his people. That's the reason for it. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Shema, you remember the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Every single day of their life they recited that. Also, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And God is summing it up for them. I want a relationship with you. I didn't give you Ten Commandments just to get on your nerves. I'm not against fun. I'm not against pleasure. But I am telling you I'm against sin because I am a holy God. I didn't give these commandments to the Gergashites or Hivites or Hittites or Moabites. I gave them to you, the Israelites, because I want to have a relationship with you. It is not to make a contest out of so you can fight among yourselves. It's not to make people hate me as God and feel like that, well, God is just an old fuddy-duddy. No, he says, I am a holy God, and I want to have a relationship with a holy people. And so he gave us the Ten Commandments. That was the whole purpose of the law. So I'd say we are quite confused. And let me just follow this up by telling you something else. We hear a lot these days about, well, you know, sometimes you Christians, you'll bring up one law and you'll break another. We do that, but not usually in the way that we're accused. Here's something that you have to understand. Jewish law was broken into three categories. One was a civil law, one was a ceremonial law, and the other was the moral law. The civil law was just specific to their culture. And it died and went away when the Jewish culture went away. And these were laws like uh, weights for scales had to be right. Uh, God gave them rules for warfare when they would go to battle. He gave them rules about restitution, and these were things spelled out in Leviticus like, well, if I dig a hole and you fall in it and you get hurt, uh, what do I have to do because I'm responsible because I didn't cover up the hole, and, and then maybe we get into it about, well, you weren't watching where you were going or whatever. We got to get all that sorted out, and God gave them laws for all of that, and so those laws died. They expired when the Jewish community itself did. Then there were ceremonial laws. Oh, uh, many of these would be impossible for you and I to do. Impossible. I, I'm not going to sacrifice a bull for the forgiveness of my sins. Now, why am I not going to do that? Because Jesus has already fulfilled these laws. The ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Christ. Read the book of Hebrews. It is a whole book about this very thing. And all of those dietary laws that they had, man, you got to remember, before Peter went to Cornelius' house, God told him in Acts 10, verse 13, with a loud voice, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
He had animals in front of him that the law forbade him to eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, verse 15, what God has cleansed, no longer consider that unholy. In Christ, these laws were fulfilled. So it's not that we just ignore them or treat them as if they're not important. I can just tell you they have been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And if you have a relationship with God, you won't need to offer some kind of uh, goat and rub uh, blood on his head to take away the guilt of your sin. I want to tell you, your guilt is taken away by Jesus Christ on the cross. The early church had a little bout with this. In Acts 15, they had a council meeting in Jerusalem because a bunch of the Jews were asking this question. A lot of Gentiles are getting saved. Do they not need to be circumcised first? Do they not need to, you know, sort of become Jews first and then become Christians? I'll read you what Peter told them. He went to the meeting in Acts 15, 10, now therefore, why do you put God to the test? That is a powerful statement. That's insinuating that you people must think God got it wrong. Do you know you're tempting God with this? You're tempting God with this. He says, by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have ever been able to bear. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And thirdly is the moral law. Those laws never end. They are decrees that are based on the nature of God. The mishpatim is the name for them that the Hebrews call them. They were decrees that God gave us. The Ten Commandments uh, is the foundation for all of that. These are laws that have to do with justice and respect and sexual conduct and marriage and things like that. And when do they expire? They never, ever expire. They never expire. But these are moral laws, and those are the laws to which you and I are accountable. We don't keep them so we can be saved. We keep them because we are saved because we have been born again, because our life has been changed, and we have been set free from the power of sin. I say all that to say this. I am perfectly within my right as a pastor and a Christian to eat shellfish, and if you've come to me wanting to marry a cow, I still don't have to do it perfectly within my right to eat shrimp. But there are other laws of God that I am not allowed to break. Boy, those are some things that we need to understand about the law. Let's take a look lastly at we have to have a godly understanding of love as well. Jesus answered him in verse 37. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Again, when Jesus says this, do you hear what he's saying? I want a relationship with you. 
all of the commandments and the prophets. Look at all of the things the prophet said. He said, all of them come down to loving me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and with all your mind, your whole being. That's what all of the commandments are about. Don't, don't get that wrong. You, I don't care how well you may feel like you keep them in the legal sense. God wants an intimate relationship with you. You remember when he had lunch with Mary and Martha and Martha came in and wanting to know why Jesus wasn't going to get on Mary and make her get up and help with the cooking. And Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 41, he said, Martha, Martha, says, you are worried about and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She is sitting at my feet listening to me talk. She is worshiping me, and that will be the best dish served tonight. This is what I always wanted. This is what I've wanted for decades, for millennia. I've wanted my people to worship me, and I wanted to be their God. He says, love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, when I love him with all my heart, and boy, these are not all clearly drawn distinctions, but I think about it like this, how I feel in my heart, how I feel needs to love God. Nowadays, boy, how I feel can play loose and free. It's almost like no matter what God said, no matter what man's laws say, how I feel trumps everything. Well, if you're a Christian, that ends because how you feel needs to love God. How you feel needs to glorify God. How you see it needs to magnify God. My emotions need to glorify God. And he says, love me with all of your soul. That is my very being. And in French, we say raison d'etre, which is my, my very essence of being. My reason for existing uh, needs to be about God. It doesn't mean that I may not have a career or go to college or do all kinds of things. But all of those things need to be secondary, secondary to my relationship with God. I need to, whatever it is that I love, I need to love it because God loves it. I thought about, I thought about this, you know, sometimes as parents and grandparents, we wind up going to things that we normally wouldn't care about, but somebody in our family that's about this tall usually loves it, so we go. Some of you are better grandparents than me. You've been to Disney World, and I'm not going. I'm just telling you, not unless I got a youngin down there hung in something and I need to go get them loose, I'm not going. I'll bribe them. I'll give them cash. How many of you, before you had children play and went to watch kids play soccer just because you love the sport? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went to a soccer game, uh, I guess, back several months ago, maybe a year ago. I don't remember. But my little granddaughter 
was playing. I can tell you, I hate soccer when the professionals are playing. My goodness, we played two hours and we're still tied 0-0. Cheat. Get a point. Do something. But I went and watched my granddaughter play, and I didn't take my eyes off of her. Oh, my goodness, I just enjoyed it. And, man, they were, mm, okay. <laughs> they had one kind of hefty little fellow on the team, and he went to kick the ball one time. The, 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 probably the most exciting part of the whole game, he ran hard as he could, and he frailed that ball. The ball missed the net, but his feet went out from under him, and he went straight into the net. I thought, give him a point. You got something in the net. You didn't go to those games, wrestling matches, watching folks this short try to throw a basketball until somebody you love started loving it. Boy, you do a lot of things when that happens. There's a lot of things in this life that I might care about, but God doesn't love them. They're not priorities for him. So they can't be for me either. I need to love what God loves. And that brings us to our last but most important point. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. For me to love you. To really love you, I first have to love God. I won't know what love is until I first love God. The Bible says God is love. If you think about that, that's pretty interesting. Who did he love when, before creation? Uh, I, I say that not just uh, as, a, as just an interesting question, but we know there's a Trinitarian understanding of God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before creation existed, God loved himself. He had a love relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before the world was ever made. So God can be loved, and he was loved before he created this world. That didn't add an attribute to him. It gave him a possibility of expressing it even more when he created this world. And I think that leads into something else I find very interesting. Us as Trinitarians, we talk about the first four commandments that have to do with God. And then the second tablet, table of commandments from five through ten, some divided them that way, they have more to do with the horizontal. The first four are the vertical. The, the, the second six are the horizontal. Trinitarians are big on the first four because they teach us to honor God first and foremost. Unitarians could care less about the first four. I don't know if you've been to a Unitarian church lately, but it's all about social gospel. It's all about my relationship with you. 
very little to do with my relationship with God. The kryptonite of liberalism nowadays, the thing that, boy, they use to shut everybody down that disagrees with them, is we are to love everybody, and we are. They are right in that. We are to love everybody. But my dilemma is I can't love you without loving God first. Barclay says it's only when we love God that we that man becomes lovable. You're unlovable to me, most of you. Seriously, most people I've met in life I could have cared less about until I met God, and he loved them, and he cared about them, therefore I love him. He defines what love is, and that brings me to my last point, but it's so important. I am to love you. But you can't ask me to love you and to embrace something that is against God whom I am to love first and foremost. I still can love you. But if you choose a lifestyle that is against God, I have to love him first. I can still love you and should, but I can't love your lifestyle because you remember, I got to love him first. And I can't even love you properly until I love him first. Oh, I, I, could, I could let you die and go to hell and never tell you the truth. I, I could love you in some superficial way and just say, well, it's okay. You live in a lifestyle that's destructive and it's against the word of God. I just won't say anything because I want to be nice. I can be nice. But if I really love you, I don't want to see you go straight to hell when you die. So I'm going to tell you the truth. So if you have things in your life where you've shaken your fist in the face of God and you say, but you're supposed to love everybody, I do want to love everybody. And God commands me to love everybody. But there are things in people's lives that I am commanded to speak out against, I am not commanded to love those. If God calls it an abomination, it's an abomination. I can love you. And if I really do love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to love you like God loves you. I, I, I think, boy, the, the more... I guess, progressive liberal version of, or understanding of Jesus is he was so nice. I guess you've just not read the New Testament, have you? Dr. Vody Bauckham says a lot of people have this image of Jesus. He's got long, flowing hair like a shampoo model. Got a sweet smile on his face and a little lamb on his back, and that's how they see him. Did you read in this passage, when we got to verse 18, he says, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? In Matthew 7 and in Luke 10, he said, Most people are going to go to hell. If I went to you and told you, said, Hey, there's a guy coming this week to preach, and didn't tell you who it was, but here are some things that he said. He calls people hypocrites. He says, most people that are living are going to die and go to hell. 
He has been known to call people a brood of vipers. He did rescue a woman caught in adultery one time from people that were going to stone her. But then he committed anathema. He committed a great uh, injustice because he told her in the end she needed to change the way she was living. And he didn't tell her that. Change the way you're living so I can love you. He said, change the way you're living because I love you. If I tell you somebody's coming that says love doesn't rejoice in evil. So if you call it love and that's why you shack up with your girlfriend, that's not love. This guy's not going to agree with that. If I tell you he went to church one time and ripped some curtains down off the wall, made a whip, and wore out some backsides with them. If I told you all of that, most people wouldn't want to show up and hear that guy. But that guy is our Savior. And he says those things because he loves us. He loves us. Man. So I have to tell you, I can be an idolater, and that's what it is. I can so love the feeling that I get from hating Preacher Mike on your behalf, from you and I getting on the phone and talking about how narrow-minded he is or whatever, and I don't know that anybody does that, but I don't care. I can make you feel good about the decision you made and say, well, that, that's different, but that's your choice. I can say all them stupid things to you because I so desperately need for you to love me back. I have made an idol out of the feeling I get from always supporting your decisions no matter how bad they are. That means I love me way more than I love you. And I am worshiping my little idol at your expense. We need to understand the law. It's there to help us have a relationship with God. And we need to understand love. It's not making us everybody feel good about all the decisions they make. I'll just close with this. I got a doctor that gets on my nerves. And I'm glad she does. She's never looked at me and said, well, you look good. I bet a lot of that's just water retention. Yeah. I bet you're big boned. You'd have to be. She tells me, you need to lose weight. A1C's up a little bit. I'm so glad she doesn't lie to me. I pay her money (laughs) to talk to me like I'm a dog, a big fat dog, but a dog. I don't want her to lie to me. I might not do all she says. I want her to care enough about me to tell me the truth. Because she's dealing with life and death. 
a God that is dealing with eternal life and death. I want him to tell me the truth. And I want him to love me like he can, only he can. And I want his, my brothers and sisters in Christ to love me that way as well. I hope we've got a little bit better understanding of God's law and his love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us, really loving us, God. We thank you, Father, for caring about us like you do. We thank you, Father, for reaching down to us and putting up with all of our foolishness, Lord. I pray you would help us. Help us to take a deeper look at loving others, God. Give us the courage to love them like you love them. Lord, I pray that you set us free from those emotional idols that fill those deficits, God, that maybe someone hurt us years ago and, and left an empty place inside of us, and we filled it with the appreciation that we get from others. God, set us free from that. Help us to love you with all our heart and soul and mind. And help us to love our neighbor. Lord, the way you love our neighbors. Thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.